Good morning, saints. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I invite you to uh, turn to Ephesians 3. We're going to take a little while to get there. I'd like to frame this morning's message in a very particular way. Uh, The title of this morning's sermon is Christ, Our Treasure. Uh, Two weeks ago, I took a little, kind of added a sub Uh, sub-theme within our overall sermon theme of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. I was very, uh, I was arrested when I was just in my personal quiet times going through Psalm 27 verse 4, and I thought to myself, that really hit me, and I thought maybe that would be good for all of us. And so this is uh, message number three, just to continue that theme as we turn the corner into into the fall soon. Uh, So Christ, our treasure. The way I'd like to frame this morning's message is um, through our dear friend uh, and brother Collins. Uh, This week we remember uh, brother Collins. Um, He passed away a year ago tomorrow. Uh, He was promoted to glory. There he is with me and the Thorn Keziahs at a... um, at a family family gathering. But if you don't know Collins, if you're newer, um, about five years ago, uh, right after our early morning men's study on Tuesday morning, we received a phone call out of the blue. A uh, brother identified himself as Collins and uh, said, well, I'm here from Nigeria on a medical visa. I have cancer and I want to worship in a Bible-believing church, and I looked on your website, you look like you're a Bible-believing church, and so um, I live not far from the church, but I need a ride. Would somebody be able to give me a ride? So Donnie Bush was the first one to pick him up, I think, for that Sunday morning. And that began just a wonderful uh, four years, um, an unexpected blessing. Uh, that Collins was to to all of us. And the reason why I'm highlighting him, first of all, is just to remember and to acknowledge that it's been a year. Uh, he was such a wonderful part of our church family and for me personally, such a, a wonderful friend. Uh, here's another picture. Um, this is uh, uh, obviously me and Cheekin. It is not often in a group picture that I am the shortest in the picture, but here I am, dwarfed by Colin, Collins and by Cheekin. This was at the Rockville Women's Center annual banquet that we held right here. But here's why I'm going to weave Collins into the message uh, today. Uh, if you knew Collins at all, you knew that he, on his countenance, he would, he would show the joy of the Lord. Um, and for those of us who knew him a little closer, uh, he just, his life story was such, he would describe himself as an angry man, a very impatient person, and I'm looking at him thinking, that does not sound like you at all, but that was his story. The Lord used a number of things in his life, and he would say cancer was one of them, to humble him and to bring him into a much deeper and richer walk with the Lord. And so Collins drew a very good balance between immersing himself into God's word, planting his mind there, 
but not just gathering information that would not, you know, change him or transform him. And we would see it on his countenance, uh, in his speech, in his conduct. Uh, he was always anxious to serve. Uh, when he spoke of the Lord, his, his face would just light up. And so uh, I, we all know that Collins, just like me and just like you, was very imperfect. But I do want to say this morning, uh, what I have to preach to this morning, kind of just be like Collins. Just, just kind of remember him and remember a brother who loved well, who served behind the scenes any way he could, uh, who would walk, I think it was like two miles from where he was living every Sunday to come here. And uh, that, was just, that was just who he was. But I could go on, but um, that's how I'd like to frame uh, what we have this morning. So we've seen uh, in this message that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In every part of our life, our affections, our thoughts, our convictions, our activities, and our plans, we put the Lord first and foremost. That is how we reverence him. That is how we walk in the fear of the Lord. He is not an afterthought for us. We don't fit him in after we get everything else in that we want for ourselves. He is the preeminent one. I'll read a few words from Psalm 42. You might be familiar with this. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul, my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? How often we fill lesser things in our mind, in our thoughts, in our affections. David says, I am thirsty for the Lord. My tears, remember, none of what David says is just inspirational on the side. He's living through hard times. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts and songs of praise, a multitude Keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is David. A.W. Tozer would talk about following hard after God. So we have seen in Scripture that, uh, Proverbs chapter 2, that we are to seek after wisdom, seek after the Lord as we would hidden treasure. If I knew that there was treasure buried in my backyard, valued at millions of dollars, I would likely get on it real quick. I would pay some upfront money to get it excavated to get at that treasure. The Holy Spirit says we are to seek Him 
and his wisdom with that same intentionality. We are to follow hard after him. But now here's the catch. That's an incomplete picture. Because we can follow hard and intentionally after something or someone. But we can also have some things on the side as well that we're also following after. And that's where Psalm 27 verse 4 comes in mind. Where David says one thing. One thing. Thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to dwell, to gaze, to consider, to reflect upon the excellencies of God, His glory. So now we put those two things in tandem. We follow hard after God, we're very intentional, we prioritize Him above all else. And he is the one thing that we desire and the one thing that we follow after. So all of our other pursuits, all of our other things that we go after, many of which we just have to because it's life. We want to study well in school. We want to move up in our job. We want to do well. All of those things, our hobbies and so on and so forth, that's great. But those fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ and those pursuits do not compete with our one thing. They complement the one thing which is seeking the Lord. So last week we took that one statement in Psalm 27 and we demonstrated that that actually is not a random inspirational thought in the middle of your Bible, but rather it literally is the message in every generation, Old Testament, New Testament, from God to us to seek the Lord and to make him our one thing. Last Sunday, we landed and we left on this gem, also from David, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. Where David is offered the opportunity to worship the Lord, to build an altar. And the guy, I mean, he's the king of Israel. guy is going to give it to him for free. David says, no, no, no. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. We're developing this picture of what it means to seek the Lord, to serve him, to love him. He simply is not something we tack on at the end of the day amongst all the other things that we're preoccupied with. He is the one thing and it is a good thing for us to serve him, to worship him in such a way that it costs us something. Jesus said, take up your cross And follow me. So the question this morning is, is our walk with the Lord something that we are doing with great ease and comfort, fitting it in when we can or how we can in the different ways that we can? Or is he the one thing that we both desire and that we seek? And saints, that is the message of God 
from every prophet in the Old Testament, bar none, in every generation, and also the New Testament as well, to seek the Lord, to seek Him alone, we will naturally be distracted by lesser things. Lord knows we have temptations. We've got that to deal with too. It's kind of like you're fighting your way through the jungle, through brush. You're trying to go the right way. There's lots of things that can and will distract you, discourage you, take you out. The scripture says to us, the Holy Spirit says to us over and over and over again, guard your heart. Because out of the heart, that's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Be intentional. We have a responsibility as well in all of this. Now, let's tie all of this together and bring this somewhat to a conclusion in this way. Following the wisdom themes in Scripture... I want us to see that Christ is wisdom from God and our true treasure. It is true what the prophets said of old, repent, seek the Lord, honor the Lord, love your neighbor. All of those things are true. They are equally true in the New Testament. But it looks a little bit different in the fullness of Revelation. Jesus, you see, did something, said something that no prophet had ever said before, lest he be stoned. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm lowly and gentle in heart. You will find rest for your soul. Can you imagine, for just a moment, Ezekiel pulling that? Any of the the Old Testament guys, they would rightfully be stoned on the spot if there was a God-fearing person in the crowd. But Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who came. We call the incarnation. He came, God in human flesh, to redeem us. And part of what we're looking at this morning answers the question, why is true Christianity exclusive? Why do we say that Jesus is the only way to God? The short answer to that is, Jesus said he's the only way to God. So your argument is not with me, but with him. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts four twelve, the apostolic preaching of the gospel. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But the logic behind those declarations is very simple. There is no one like Jesus. Jesus is not the same as all the ones who came before him. It's kind of the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. Constantly comparing Jesus better than the angels. Jesus better than the prophets. Better than Abraham. Better than Moses. Because he is the son of God. Which, begin, which takes me to our sermon text this morning. 
took the circuitous route this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And yes, this morning we once again will be kind of walking through Scripture because I want you to see the panorama. Sometimes it's good. What we typically do is take a passage and dig down very, very deep. But on this occasion, as with last week, I want you to see the picture. Right. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. So that through the church, the manifold or the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. With finality, with the revelation of the New Testament. Remember, Hebrews begins by saying that God has spoken in so many different ways to the prophets and so forth. Now, with finality, he's spoken through his son. The wisdom of God is most clearly shown and demonstrated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wisdom that God displayed for us in reconciling sinful people to God who is holy could only have been accomplished through the shed blood of his own son. So now when we continue the conversation, when we talk about wisdom in the book of Proverbs, let's not just limit that to pithy, wise statements. And we will get back to them because they're very good. But the wisdom of God is most clearly and finally and fully seen now in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about seeking the Lord, when we talk about seeking wisdom, when we say the one thing have I desired, it's Christ. Christ everywhere is spoken of as our highest and most precious treasure. And he is not a concept. He is not a doctrinal statement. He is a person. He is the one who said... Come to me. And that's how I want to end this little sub-series that we are in. This theme actually begins in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9. Remember the Old Testament. The Hebrew scriptures is the, the holy prophets speaking of the one who would come. Right on the one hand... They're kind of calling Israel on the carpet, basically every generation. That was their, their main job, was like, hey, you're, you need to come back to the Lord. But the, the, the theme as well was there's one coming. There's one coming who is going to solve this problem of sin. You see, every day and on an annual basis... We have these sacrifices. If we could be honest for a moment, the temple had a stench to it because there was never-ending blood being shed. This issue of God who is holy and His people who are demonstrably not 
day after day, the priest would make sacrifices. Day after day, year after year, it was the same thing. Annually, the priest himself would have to get up extra early on Yom Kippur, the Day of of Atonement, to to deal with his own sins before he dare stand before God and the congregation for their sins. But praise God, there is one who would come who would deal with the problem. One and done. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You can sing it if you like in your mind. For to us, a child is born, a son is given. Isn't that something? A child is born. That's the incarnation. A son is given. The son of God is given. For God so loved the world that he gave. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. You see, we often, and rightfully so, kind of focus on the next one, which is Mighty God. Why? Because it is a... It is a beautiful statement that that tells us who Jesus is. No Jewish parent would ever name their child God. With the exception of Mary. But the one who is coming would be the wonderful counselor. A counselor who is wonderful is one who is wise. By definition... You can't be divvying out wisdom if you yourself are a fool. Let's go to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, if you're taking notes, verse 18 is really where the action starts. It's a remarkable passage because it contrasts the wisdom of God and the foolishness of the world. And the basic thesis is the gospel is foolishness to the world because you gotta you gotta play your own part in this, right? If you're gonna be if you're gonna get to heaven, if you're gonna be made right with God, somehow, some way you gotta bring something to the table, right? You've gotta you gotta bring your good works, your church attendance, whatever it is, because that's how you get in. That's how the world thinks. It's karma, right? You do something good and good things come back to you. But the gospel is actually revolutionarily different. The gospel is God in his great love and mercy has done it all. We actually don't play a part in it regarding merit, regarding earning it, because What are we going to bring? What are we going to do? But Christ has laid down his life. Verse 18 of chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Gospel is the dumbest thing in the world to the world. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Praise God when we are saved and we look, we lose our breath. When we look at the love and the mercy of God, we see the one who upholds all things by the word of his power nailed to a cross. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The gospel is remarkable. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. What I want you to see is verse 30. And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus. That's the definition of a Christian. You're in Christ who became to us the wisdom from God. Jesus, that little baby in a manger, became for us the wisdom of God. Abandon your own efforts to fix your problems. Cast yourself on the mercy of God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Notice the detail of God's word. When he talks about Christ being the wisdom of God, the the fullest expression of the wisdom of God, notice what is right behind that, right, right after it. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, glorification. Those three, that's basically the gospel right there. We are saved by faith. We are justified. We are forgiven. We have the righteousness of God in the place of my sin. Secondly, my sanctification. God is changing me, transforming me, making me into the image of Christ from glory to glory. And final redemption. That is when I stand before God face to face. And I know that Christ's blood speaks for me. It's beautiful. And all of that is in the context of the wisdom of God, who is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Really, my, my goal here is just to show you that Christ is the wisdom of God. And so when we say we're seeking the Lord, we're following after him, we're, Christ is the treasure. I want you to know, Colossians 2 1, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. That's what we all need our hearts to be encouraged. Being knit together in love, that's the people of God, is what church is supposed to be, to reach all the riches of full assurance. That's the goal. That we would be fully assured of who we are in Christ. Believing that he is who he says he is. He is God's provision. Our trust is in him. What God says is true about me in Christ is actually true. Full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Which is Christ. Now that's a grand statement. And what does he say? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Saints, what a wonderful Savior we have. In Christ is hidden all 
the treasures of wisdom. Why do we seek after lesser things? Why are we so easily distracted by that, as Tim said earlier, which does not and never will and never has satisfy? We all know it's true. Our lives are just one cheap imitation after another, beckoning for our attention, for our affection. The scriptures are clear. He goes on to say, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That we would not be distracted, that we would not be deceived with lesser things. All throughout scripture, we are told to seek the Lord, to seek his wisdom. And that's what we are endeavoring to do through our our series in the book of Proverbs. To see the wisdom of God laid out for us. But the wisdom of God will not settle in our hearts or our mind if we are seeking half-heartedly after him. Let's just be honest. Do we feel weak? Do we feel discouraged? Do we feel a distance between us and God? Of course we do. If our relationship with him by our own doing is far to begin with. Now the wonderful thing is the Lord is faithful. The Lord is kind. The Lord is compassionate. He loves us. He is always calling us to a deeper, more richer walk with him. Remember, he died for us to redeem us. And it's not as if he didn't know all the dumb things that we're capable of doing. And I put myself at the top of the list. He knows that. So again, my prayer is that these few weeks will be used by God to arrest our attention. To make him the one thing on a regular basis. You see, it's not, it's not as if that's probably a new concept to us. But we need to renew that day by day. We need to renew that on a regular basis or else we will become distracted. We will become deceived. Perhaps we will become far from God. And we wonder why do we have this ache in our own hearts? Because he's not near to us. Let's go to the end of our Bibles. Revelation. book of Revelation. We won't read all of it. But beginning in chapter 4, there is this beautiful, beautiful picture of worship that is taking place. It is one that is a balm for our soul. One that brings such comfort and encouragement to remember, as the scripture says, we are citizens of heaven. Anything here that we lock on to, there are things for us to enjoy, things for us to have fun with, all of those things. But if it's not Christ, ultimately, we will be empty. Right, so Romans, I mean, uh, Revelation chapter 4. I'm just going to read some of this and then we'll flash some up on the screen. 
verse 6. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature, like a lion, like an ox, uh, like the face of man, and like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, saying day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Imagine if we set our minds on that, on Him. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Only, you can only say that of God. Now remember one thing, when the angels worship God, they worship him for his power, for his glory, for his might, but on their lips, you will never find redemption. They're not redeemed. We are. We are the ones that God rescued. The anthem of redemption is ours and ours alone. And we need to go back to that over and over and over and over again. Revelation chapter 5. We'll, well, we'll pick it up in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Christ. The focus is refined. Each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for why? This is redemption now. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. That's the song of the redeemed. That's my God who came to earth, took my form, the form of a servant, and surrendered himself to death, even death on the cross. Verse 11. It's on the screen too, if, if you want. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures. and the, Now everyone's in. The voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom. And glory and blessing. This is not a statement of he needs this so let's give it to him. It is a statement of he is the one who shows us what this is. And we worship him.
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And they fell down and they worshiped. So what's occupied your thoughts this week? Where are your priorities? What does your schedule tell? What tale does your schedule tell? Is it him? Or is it a thousand other things? The things that we have to get done come under the Lordship of Christ and they complement, not compete for our desire to have him the one thing. Here's Collins again. Every Tuesday morning we have a men's Bible study right over there, 6.30 a.m. We've been doing it for years and years and years. Any men are welcome. But Collins requested, he said, would you meet with me again in the afternoons? What am I going to do? Say no. Um, So this is the Stites back deck. We would meet together for Bible study. We would pray together. Doug would often join us. And Collins discovered towards the end of his life, through many trials and tribulations, that the strength is found in our walk with the Lord. So he endeavored to know God's word. He would say over and over again that it was his time with us where he truly understood what grace looks like. In the Christian life. I close us. With Psalm chapter 84. These things that I think about on the drive in. On Sunday mornings. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts. Think about that. How often do we think of God as one to be afraid of because of who he is? How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul longs. Yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, that's every part of my being, sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows find a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Verse 10. For one day in your courts, this is Old Testament language, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be, he says, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Saints, this is the word of the Lord, and this is for us. I am here to tell you by my own imperfect experience, but also on the perfect word of God, one day in the presence of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. Where are you spending your time? Where are your priorities? Does your worship of God cost you something? 
Do you have to give some unnecessary things up in order to make room for that which is the one that matters? Last week, we, I gave a little practical challenge, which is take some time this week. Don't, don't do five minutes a day because we can all do that because five minutes will do you nothing in anything. Five minutes doesn't do you anything. But set aside one day. Take at least half an hour to immerse yourself, to put everything else aside. Maybe drop something you normally do to meet the Lord in his word. I promise you it will be a good thing. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. O Lord, your word is, has spoken. And we pray for your spirit to take your word and apply it to us in the way that we need to receive it. Lord, we, we manage the need for us to hear hard things, but also remembering that you love us immeasurably, that your grace is present in our lives. These messages have not been designed to guilt or shame us, but to point us to something that is far better, far greater. It will not spoil or fade. It will never not satisfy. It's the only one, only thing that can satisfy. Lord, as the season begins to change in our area, as we enter into our routines with school and college and such, May we keep the one thing, the one thing. May we treasure Christ, our Savior, above all else. That is the right response because you are worthy. But, O oh Lord, is what our soul needs. It's the best for us. You graciously, kindly call us back to that over and over and over again. And this morning I pray that if anyone or those who have needed this message, that you would quicken it in their hearts, changes be made. Your word says that your love is shed abroad in our hearts. Gently bring us back to you. Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Lord, we always pray if there's one person who does not know you personally, who has not had their sins forgiven, that today would be the day of their salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That the Lord Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself, was nailed to a cross, was buried, and rose again. Putting our faith and our confidence and our trust in him and in him alone. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.